Welcome to the Intuitive Art Show. I'm Rachel Archelaus, and today we have a special guest, Daniel James. He has a production company called Tragic Hero Productions, and he's an actor and a photographer and so much more. We're going to get into all of that. And I wanted to share him with you because he has this beautiful unfolding purpose journey that it keeps getting more exciting for him and he keeps getting more filled up with things that are uh, exciting to him in his day. And so I really wanted to share what that looks like for you and also what it looks like to be a creative person on this kind of spiritual journey, because as you know, when you're creative, you want to do a million things. You don't want to do just one thing. And he can show us really how that works in real time. And he's also a channeler, so we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Um, I think we're going to learn a lot from him. I'm really excited about it. And so uh, thanks for coming. I'm going to share a drawing that I did right now about his path to acting more, because when I met him a year and a half ago, that was something that he'd wanted to pursue more. And it's happened in a big way. So this drawing is going to show that. If you don't know intuitive art, you can learn at intuitiveartacademy.com. And we have a free class. Take the class and then do your own drawing for Daniel or your purpose path too. Okay, so here's the drawing. And it's quite a statement. You know, some of my drawings are more muddled or it's like there's not really a, a pattern. It's just a wash of color all over. But this really, it makes a statement and it almost looks like an antenna. Um, and when I was first doing it, I thought it was going to look like a pot leaf, but it doesn't. <laughs> um, and the colors here are, are really fitting for a journey. This color here, this kind of like purpley pink color is all about spirituality and love. So I think tapping into what you love and you know, having that be your purpose is pretty perfect. There's this circle of what you want. You know, he had this idea in mind that he wanted to act more. And so I feel like the circle really represents that idea of what he'd love to do more. And that also outlines these kind of pillars. And inside is an action color. So he has, you know, he's got to take action on what he loves and what he wants to do. And the brown is grounding, right? So he's got to make actual steps toward making this happen. Like, I'm sure he'll get into this more of what steps he took, but you have to actually go through the motions on the physical realm um, to bring this into play. And all these little dots here of raspberry are my inspired action color. So it's not just like like I imagine the brown to be doing what you know to do already to be an actor, like getting headshots or sending them out or signing up with agencies. But there's also inspired actions that you take that are more from your higher self of like, oh, show up here at this time or go to this agency and not that one. So this looks like a journey of combining what your mind says to do, getting out there, putting in the work, but also listening to your inspirations, and having a goal. How does that sound to you, Daniel? Sounds great. I think you nailed it. Cool. I really love the depiction, too, because when I first saw that, I saw how it seems like it splits off in different directions. Um, and I really like that, that concept because you have to think about the way that your personal development happens in life, your personal evolution, 
um, your path is never a straight one. You know how life kind of zigs and it zags and it ebbs and it flows and it expands and it contracts. So I like how you, the first thing I saw were the three lines that branched out into their own direction. And to me, that is resonant because that's how my life happens. Yeah. It always splits off into different directions and then it's spider webs and it splits again. And so, I like that. Cool. Yeah, well, I think this is a good a good place to mention that you act in many different ways. So you have your own productions that you are, you know, you write, direct, produce, all of that, but you also act in them. And you also act in other people's productions, right? Like you go on casting calls and you're cast in movies. So yes. Can you tell us a bit about you and your background and how you started on this journey overall? Absolutely. It's an exciting story because when you're a kid and you have dreams about what you want to do as a career or what you want to experience in your life, uh, you never know what the direct path is to that because I really don't think that there is one and you never know how that's going to crystallize and manifest. So my, my highest excitement and my biggest dream was always to be an actor. And, you know, growing up as a kid, I didn't just watch movies and enjoy them. I, I saw all the big stars and I said, you know, I'm one of those guys. That's where I want to be. And uh, I just always just dreamt of it. And so growing up as a teenager, I would produce like little independent short films in my backyard with my buddies and we'd shoot little movies and edit them. And um, whether it was for a class project in high school or whether it was just something that we wanted to do as a passion, um, as a kid, I've been doing it since I was 13. And then I started to take it serious around the time that I was 18. And I was a musician and singing in a lot of bands and stuff. And so being somebody who's so expressive, I always knew to have multiple ways to express, whether I was producing like a little short film with my friends or singing in my bands. And um, life happens. And I was pretty much taken out of being a musician and an actor and producing indie shorts all at once. And I just stopped altogether, completely. And uh, that sucked because I really, really, really wanted to keep doing it. And I was very happy around the time that I was 18, but just something steered me in a different direction. And so around the time that I turned 25, because I'm 30 now, um, I was kind of dealing with some medical issues. And I felt like I didn't also injured my voice as a singer. I'd injured my voice and I couldn't sing the way that I had been um, in bands for so many years. So I said, well, what can I do that's still creatively expressive? Um, but I don't have to sing or use my voice in that way. And I remembered that I loved filmmaking and producing little independent short films. And I remembered that uh, I had such a, like a burning desire to act. Around the time that I was 25, I moved from Washington State to New York State and started producing independent short films uh, again. And my approach was different this time, whereas I was doing it by myself and whatever friends and family that I could have help me. Um, with these small projects, I said, well, I want to act and I've always loved acting. So I want to reopen that door and see what happens. So moving to a new state into a new city where you don't know any, anyone from the local art community or the local independent film community, or even, you know, the film industry community, I didn't know anybody. So I said, I'm just going to write, direct and shoot my own independent short films and act in them so that I can get experience in front of the camera. So then when the time comes where I want to pursue, you know, auditions for other projects or look into getting an agent or, any, or a talent agency, I'll be more prepared because I will have had some experience in front of the camera and have an understanding of what I'm doing. So I start 
mass producing short films, you know, like no budget short films in my backyard with like my brothers and my friends, you know, like I did when I was a kid because I stopped for so many years. I didn't really know where to pick up. Again. So we start doing these movies and I'm getting integrated in the film community and I'm making a lot of friends and I'm networking. And I start to realize that I'd fallen in love with, you know, writing and directing also. So I like to pick up a camera and shoot things. I love to video edit. Um, I love to write. I actually like to compose music. So because I'd been a musician since I was a teenager, what I could do was I would write, direct, shoot, star in, edit, and score, compose my own movies from scratch so that I'm literally doing everything involved. And over the course of a couple of years, I had forgotten why that I wanted to start doing this again since I was a teenager. And it was because I wanted to act. But once you start producing and you start meeting people and you start networking and then somebody wants you to help with their project and then you start meeting more people who will help with your projects and make them better, I couldn't stop. It was like this whole machine that had been constructed and then had become self-sustaining and I just never stopped producing movies. So for the over the last five years since I moved to the East Coast from the West Coast, I've been involved in over 70 projects, um, whether they were mine or, or somebody else's. Um, you know, no budget independent shorts to feature lengths to unionized and non-unionized. And so I've done it all and I've seen it all over the past five years. But then I realized I'd worked on so many projects, I had forgotten why I started again, which was to act. So it was really just recently over the last year and a half that I, I reminded myself how important acting was to me and how serious that I took it and decided to try to wrap up all of the productions that I had open under my studio, Tragicuro because we have like so many movies in different stages, like we'll be shooting two movies and editing three and then two of them are in post and then we're shooting two more. And so that's kind of been the system for the past five years. And I realized I have to create some more of like a happy medium, more of a balance in, in the projects that I'm working on where I can pursue acting again, which was the reason that I started to be in, you know, thinking back to when I was a kid and seeing the big movie stars and wanting to be one of them. I'd always been taking necessary steps to, to, to reach that goal, but I kept getting sidetracked producing so much. So now here we are. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm 30 and it's the, almost the end of 2016. And I'm just now realizing, okay, I really need to like buckle down and take my acting as serious as I've always dreamt. And so, so over the last year and a half, I've accelerated from an independent, you know, non-union actor just doing like, low budget no budget projects for small money or no money and now i'm i'm sag union and i have an agency and i have an agent and i have headshots and resumes and a demo reel and all that stuff and now i'm working pretty much part-time full-time uh in all different types of acting roles um and the most exciting thing is i just went union two weeks ago i just bought my my sag card which is exciting um I've been eligible for three years and was always too nervous to to go SAG from independent because once you go SAG, there's a whole new world of opportunity that opens up to you. But at the same time, you're literally cutting out other elements of your opportunity. So if you're if you're union, you can't act non-union anymore. And half of my monthly income was was acting independently and getting paid for it. And now I'm not allowed to act independently anymore. I can only act in unionized productions, which is a little bit of a give and take because it pays a lot better, but it, you may not act as often depending on where you live and, and some of the opportunities and how good your, your agent is and things like that. So that's what I'm kind of learning, you know, right now and how to balance that a bit better and how to continue seeking work now that I'm union and how 
that changes um, my opportunities. So, yeah, so. <laughs> well, congratulations on that. That's exciting. Very exciting. I, I feel really, really good about the decision, and now I'm wondering why I waited so long to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, I could see it as just like a, even a spiritual question, like the whole independent union. I mean, there's a lot tied up in that emotionally and with the collective. Yeah. The whole thing unto itself. So it makes sense that you waited. Um, so bravo for listening the whole time, you know, because I think what a lot of people do is they get sidetracked and then they start to judge themselves and say, why am I doing this when I really wanted to do the other thing? What's wrong with me? And we can get stuck in judgment, but, and, and you may have had a little bit of that, but it seems like you appreciated what you were doing and you realized it was like a learning opportunity and you were still um, growing as a person and learning for what you'll be doing later. But then when you decided you wanted to pay more attention to acting, you did all the steps and, and it's flowing for you. So that's really amazing. Thank you. So tell me more about the projects that you've been doing that bring more of your like spirituality into it, because I knew you were working on project with, um, about ET disclosure. Is that correct? Yes. As a matter of fact, I have two projects that are very spiritual and metaphysical and they integrate so many different aspects of spirit science. Um, so to, to back up a little bit so that I can catch up with where I am now. Um, I didn't go through my own personal spiritual awakening until I had gotten really, 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 really medically ill um, at the same time that I was going through a divorce. So shortly after I moved to New York from the West Coast, um, I had uh, I injured my stomach. I had a, an intestinal injury, and it was the catalyst to all kinds of structures just breaking down in my life, whether it be employment or whether it be relationships or friendships. Um, this medical issue that I had developed, it uh, it was the the cause of my whole spiritual awakening because I was at what I like to say one of the lowest points in my life. So I was going through a divorce, which was my choice, and in my opinion, that that makes it more difficult. Um, so, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> right, like if you get if somebody needs you, that's one thing, and you just have to roll with it and, and, and do your best with the process. But if you make the decision that you have to leave somebody, then there are much much more heavy, dense reasons for that, and it was so difficult to go through that. So right, right at the time that I had um, developed a medical medical issue and I was going through my divorce, um, that's when I hit like the lowest point in my life, you know, vibrationally, where I just didn't know how I was going to get out of this. And that's when a friend had sat me down and wanted and listened to my story and listened to everything that I was going through at the time, and she recommended some books and some concepts that I had kind of dabbled in a little bit and heard a little bit about that, but didn't really know much about anything when it comes to spirit science and metaphysics. Um, I was like as you know, third dimensional as it gets at that time. And so she had turned me on to two books, which was uh, one of them was The Journey of Souls by Michael Newton, which there are three of them. And then there was the Seth material, the Seth Speaks material, which there's a whole series of those books also. So you can imagine being somebody who uh, doesn't know much about metaphysics or spirit science getting you know books like that 
Um, I'm not sure. Did you read the Michael Newton books or you know of them? Yeah. And I think that was one of the first books I'd read too. It's a great book to open people up because he's so, you know, scientific about it himself since it's all hypnosis. So, yeah. Absolutely. And that was one of the biggest things that drew me into spirit sciences. I can be a little bit more on the analytical side and I'm a little bit more of a scientist when it comes to these concepts. So whenever there was more tangible case studies and, and things that had been backed up with, you know, science, it was always more resonant with me. So books like the set material and books like, um, say, for example, you know, Journey of Souls, those resonated with me much more uh, because of the science behind them. So when I read those, I had a much more under, a better understanding of life and why somebody might get medically ill or why somebody might go through a divorce. All of those types of like, you know, difficult questions are answered in books like this. They're answered in concepts like this. And so I hit it. I like, I hit the ground running looking at those books from that point being, you know, had never having been more medically ill in my life. Um, that whole world opened up to me and it skyrocketed me out of like that, you know, depression that I was in and I was having money issues and the divorce, like everything just seemed to get better progressively really, really fast. The more I understood about what's behind the curtain, you know, the more I went through my own spiritual awakening. So I was still producing indie shorts and still acting as much as I could in my own productions and in other productions, non-union at the time while I was training myself. I just started to, to read as many books on the topics as I could, find whatever information on the internet that I could, dig up any documentary that existed about um, law of attraction and just anything that's spirit science. I had to dive right into it and it became not an obsession, but it came healthy, became like a healthy distraction from me situation that I was in it was so hard for me so that was like three and a half years ago um and so I never met the connection between my spiritual awakening and my career I always looked at them as very separate and I never tried to correlate the two or blend them together literally until I moved to Pennsylvania from New York so once I left New York um my partner and I we moved up here and I'm freelance I work from home and I'm a full-time videographer and a video editor and at the time she was in school and working two jobs so I was at home a lot by myself to work and to study and this is so right before I moved from New York to Pennsylvania that's when I got really big into the concept of channeling so I'd always known of the Seth material but as far as like Jane Roberts goes that was as far as I knew about channeling or channeler in general um, until I got into a little bit of like Abraham Hicks and sort of following some like law of attraction material. Um, and she excited me, like the Abraham Hicks thing, that excited me. But it still didn't resonate with me on the level that I was seeking because it just wasn't quite scientific. Like if you know the, the Abraham Hicks material, she's very generalized in like a couple topics and that's what she focuses on. Even when somebody in the hot seat wants to talk about something that you hear at a Bashar, you know, at a Bashar event, she just doesn't really go there. So it, I found Bashar's material through Abraham Hicks. And so once I found Bashar's material, Bashar's material about two and a half, three, you know, almost three years ago, that that material being more scientific um, was what really resonated with me. And then from learning about Bashar and then finding all of the other amazing channels that we have, you know, all throughout the world, I started channeling on my own. So I had always used a technique that I read in the very first Seth book, 
where he teaches you how to alter your brainwave states. So what I used to do is when I would go into meditation, um, I would use a manifesting technique while, um, after you, you elevate your brainwave states into like say the alpha states, you're going like alpha, theta, and gamma. And so I would, I would, I learned how to use those techniques to get into that place where I could manifest faster because you're closer to the template level reality, as Bashar says. And I could, um, I just felt like it was a more clear, rich place to deliberately create from rather than using like a mantra or any sort of ritual. Well, one day while I was doing that, I started to realize that I could communicate more directly with my spirit guides um, and have open dialogues directly with them as if, you know, you and I are talking right now. I can communicate with them in that way when I alter my brain moves. So in doing that for a while, um, I decided for the first time that I wanted to do a film. I wanted to produce a movie that was about the things that I'm passionate about. And for me, I felt a little apprehensive to do it because so many of the people that I know in the television and film industry, or even say, for example, my local film community, I don't meet a lot of people that are spiritually, you know, awakened or conscious, or, you know, they're, they're not like chasing that sovereignty for themselves. They're still kind of really rooted in like the, the 3D paradigms. And as time goes on, it's exciting to meet more people who, who know about spirit science in the community. And that's great. But, You'd be surprised how few people in the industry are not there. They're just not there right now. So there's a lot of things that I just maybe might not talk about with them or maybe not tell them about myself because not that I'm that I keep it from them in any way. It's just that they don't know about it yet. So I'm always in a situation where I'm explaining everything from the beginning. So I didn't want to integrate, you know, my my metaphysics and my spirit science into my my film work and my career just until recently when I moved to Pennsylvania. So I sat down with my team. I have a, a team of people that work with me. And I said, I really want to do a movie about um, that depicts extraterrestrials in a positive way. Because so many films that we have, you know, in mainstream media, they depict them negatively. Like they're, you know, people abduct us and do terrible things. And it's all scary. And you and I both know that it's just not the case. Yeah. So I said, what's the most non-invasive way to introduce these new ideas amongst a community who's not too familiar with it. And I felt that that was entertainment. So entertainment is the, is the least abrasive, um, imposing way to deliver new ideas. I meditated on it and I said, what can I do to get some of these messages and these stories that are more positive and content into you know, mass media? So it was definitely films. So we wrote uh, the project, Those Who Seek. And Those Who Seek is about a character named Felix Fox who's diagnosed with a terminal illness and um, at that time in his life he was just getting ready to propose to his girlfriend and things were going really well but then he got medically ill and he got really angry about it. So in the film what happens is he decides to take his own life and the night that he goes to take his own life he receives intervention from an extraterrestrial race who not only saves his life stops him from hurting himself but they also cure his medical illness. Um, and they kind of lead him on this journey of self-discovery where he realizes that he meant for a lot more and he has much more to do. Um, and so that's what those who seek is about. What we did was we said, okay, well, I know a lot of people in the film and the television industry who don't know about these things. If I just call, call up my buddy who works on this TV show and I want to talk to him about aliens, he's going to laugh at me. But if I do a movie that's fictional, he'll watch that. And then what happens is you plant the seed and it grows and then 
people can take whatever little bits of information they like and they can leave the rest. And that's what pe- that's what's beautiful about free will. So in those who seek, we talk about law of attraction. And we talk a little bit about manifesting um, deliberately and how we are in charge of creating, creating our own reality and our own circumstances. Um, we talk, we depict an extraterrestrial race positively. And I chose to use the race that I channel. So when I channel, um, I channel a, a race from Orion called Za. And they're like a kind of like a reptilian uh, fourth density being, but they're, they're very, they're very positive and benevolent and very loving. And when I, one night, you know, I said to myself when I was writing this film, I said, I don't want to use any sort of like blanket term extraterrestrial. I don't just want to fabricate some type of fictional fictional race or fictional aliens using the movie. I'd like to use a real race that we actually interact with in some way. So I, I went into the channeling state and I, I connected with my guides and I openly asked my guides to put me in touch with an extraterrestrial race that would be interested in collaborating with me on the project of the movie and be the race that we, we depict. So that was the first time that I ever channeled anything other than my own spirit guides was the, the, these are race came through and that's when I met them the first time. And they were so excited, so, so, so excited that I had reached out to involve them in this movie. Because one of the things that this particular race is most excited about is they're excited about people who want to use entertainment in the forms of art towards the benefit towards benefiting ascension the ascension process anything from our fourth density shift to our fifth dimensional shift anything about ascension right now that can be told but you can tell that story through entertainment the Zaw is all about like they love it so uh they were the ones who came through and they're the ones that we depict in the movie and that was the first time that i made the conscious effort to say okay you know what i'm just going to come out with it and everybody that, that knows me as an actor and a filmmaker they're going to see this other side of me that, that i've been keeping private for several years now and it's just it's all going to come out in this movie so i am a channel but i don't do it publicly like so many of our friends that we have it's just more of a private thing that we do for friends and family and for myself i channel for myself all the time and um so the first time that my channeling would ever come out publicly will be in the movie when i release it which will be it'll be for free to watch online um we had done a, a crowd a crowd crowdsourcing campaign for it that was successful and we raised all of the money to produce the movie um, by people who are passionate and excited about these concepts so the best thing that i can do um for ascension and to spread an, aware, oh, an awareness on these concepts that i'm so passionate about was to make a movie that would be free to watch Nobody has to pay for it. No one has to rent it. You don't have to go to the video store or to a theater. And we're just going to put it online so that it can reach as many people as possible because we infused so much information into the story that's important to people who are new to the concepts. We just wanted to reach as many people as possible. So we didn't want to limit it in any way by charging people to see it. So that's those who seek. And that's it's, it's like my baby. Um, it's like my life story. I've infused a lot of my medical history into it. So when you see my character Felix going through his medical issues, these are all things that I've been through um, in real life and situations that I've been in. And then my my personal contact with extraterrestrial races is also depicted very similar in the film. And my journey into becoming a channeler is also depicted. So we're really excited to show everybody um, this project. And it's still in post. It's being worked on by three different people, three different teams doing different aspects of the post-production right now. Um, so I, I look to have it done by Christmas is my goal, but 
I do the best that I can. So it's on its way. It's coming. Excellent. And so I take it you're acting as Felix in the movie? Yeah, I play the lead Felix Fox. Cool. So that it could be somewhat of like an indirect biography of the story. Mm-hmm. So this is something that takes a lot of coordination, a lot of planning, a lot of help. Um, I think a lot of people, (laughs) even if they're really excited, even if they have experience maybe doing short things, there's a lot of mental hurdles you're going to have to overcome in order to believe that you could even accomplish and get that thing done. So what was it like for you when you had the idea and you were excited about it? Did you have to kind of work through all the doubts that came up about that? Or was it just you had enough energy from the inspiration to get it rolling, to get the people on board? What was it like for you in the beginning stages of making this? Um, to, keep, to, to keep it simple, um, I was so, so, so excited to do this project about extraterrestrials um, and uh, to, to use this movie as an opportunity to come out with all of my personal beliefs about spirit science also that I got together with my partner who co-writes with me and we wrote it actually three people wrote this project alongside myself we had the script and then we said okay how are we going to do this so I realized that the movie needed a budget a really 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 small budget especially for an independent film it just needed a little bit of money and I said to myself okay well how are we going to raise the money for this particular topic that Everybody that I know who will give me money might not give me money about this movie. What am I going to do? So that's when we opened it up to crowdsourcing to have them financed through donations. And um, holding a high vibration and, and making sure that my team always stayed very positive and holding their vibrations high about being able to raise the capital that we need to produce the movie. Um, I think that the act of having a, a fundraiser campaign it really just buried all those um, doubts that I had so quick because I was apprehensive to, to come out with this really, really, really private aspect of my life. Um, being a public figure, you never know how people are going to take like big nips. And so, so they come out, hey, just so you know, I channel. Mm-hmm. You know, nine times out of ten, they're like, what's channeling? <laughs> right? Yeah. So I knew that the importance uh, of the movie and the message and the energetic um, content that we just kind of wove, you know, we wove in and out of the story. I knew that that was going to carry me past all of my doubts and disbeliefs that A, the movie could get produced successfully and B, that it would be received um, positively or negatively. I knew that it would be, you know, it, that it will be perceived positively. And so whenever I got doubtful about doing a movie about these topics and having the money to do so, because it was, it's not the type of movie that you could just do without any money with your friends. It needed some money, it needed, you know, a couple grand. So uh, we, we raised the money really fast nice. and really easy. We superseded our goal. So if we needed to raise X amount of dollars, we came in over that mark, which was mm-hmm. very helpful. Um, and after the, you know, literally we shot the movie over a year ago, and I still have money coming in to help with the post-production. Nice. So it's, yes. Yeah, so when it comes to like the doubts and beliefs, I only had them at the early stages of trying to find the budget. Mm-hmm. And once I realized how fast the money was coming in, synchronistically, there were so many people excited about seeing this story told about because of what it's about. The money just flew in, and then I had crew from uh, Western New York. I had crew from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I had a couple, you know, I flew out to LA to do the, the very ending of the movie, you know, which you 
you and that's where you and I met was in LA for the channel panel. Yep. Uh, everything came together so synchronistically, like it just locked right into place effortlessly that whatever little doubts or preconceived notion that I had about, you know, how, you know, how it was going to get put together or how it would be received, it was gone fast. You know, so I really don't know how to explain it differently than that other than it came together easily because uh, synchronicity, synchronicity just it put, put us everywhere we needed to be when we needed to be there. Cool. That's great. I love stories like that. And I think just to underscore, though, like you took action and that's when the synchronicity started to happen. Like you followed through and I think you've proven, you know, through your whole story that you're an action taker and that you, you'll do things on your own and you'll move forward without money or whatever. But in this case, you had the idea, you knew it needed money. And so you did have a doubt, but then once the money started coming in, it was there and you kept your vibration high so that it, it worked out. That's really great. Absolutely. And the one little thing that I can add to that is, one thing that I'm constantly reminded and I feel inspired to say right now is that I always reminded myself that I was creating the circumstances mm -hmm. that I needed in order to either finance the film or get the crew that I needed or get the, the support that I needed to do it. I, I always held the vibration that I knew I needed to believe in myself and believe that everything I needed would happen before it did. And that's actually what accelerated everything happening so quickly, be it money or be it connections and networking, uh, meeting new people. Like the whole ending of the film never existed before I met Brad Johnson, um, who, you know, Brad Johnson, who channels Adronis. Yep. And I met online and became friends. And then Brad led me to Rob Gothier, who led me to Nora Harold. And then through meeting those three, we actually had it, you know, the film ending in a whole channeling message from those three people that we recorded at the channel panel in LA. Um, and those were synchronicities. I also got my, my travel and my, my lodging and everything paid for, um, completely paid for. It didn't cost me a dime. It came out of um, additional money that had come in for the budget of the film. So there were so many synchronicities that, that lined up for all of these things to be possible. But I just want to, I really want to state that it was because that I believed first that it could be this way. And I believed that I could experience them experience those things and I believe that synchronicity would guide me to every stepping stone stepping stone that I needed to get there. So it was all about, you know, having the intention and believing in it and, and holding that vibration and then stepping out of the way of it to let it happen in the best possible way. And it certainly did. So I just wanted to add that a little bit. Beautiful. That's really great. So I I'm kind of interested because um, I love to attend the Illuminate Film Festival in Sedona every year, which is a conscious film festival. And they also have panels uh, for filmmakers. And although I'm not a filmmaker, I love video and um, I've always had a dream to make documentaries and everything. So I attend a lot of the panels and I try to learn about the film industry and sure. distribution and everything. And a lot of them... Um, the filmmakers that I met had great success offering their film for free online and then collecting emails and monetizing on the back end. So like, okay, you watch the film for free, but they give you an option to buy it um, so that you can keep it or they'll sell merchandise or whatever. Are you doing any kind of back end monetization like that? Or 
um, have you, has that not been solidified yet? That's a great question. Um, I know all about monetizing and how it works and how to generate an income through advertising. Uh, the only thing is, is I haven't done that yet. It's, it's just not an avenue I've tapped into. Um, and I know that a lot of people have great success in that. I might actually monetize uh, those who seek because it'll be free to watch. And, you know, like say, for example, like the way that you probably do through YouTube, I'm not sure if you monetize your videos in that way. Um, but when it comes to short films, I personally found that it's more difficult to generate any type of income mm -hmm. on short films um, because of the way that the television and film industry works. You really just can't distribute them. You can't market them as you can a feature, like be it a documentary or be it a feature, feature like narrative. Short films just aren't really eligible for distribution. So any filmmakers or, or independent documentary filmmakers out there that produce anything that's less than 45 minutes in length, that's considered a short film. And what you could do is you can you can pitch that to uh, like Amazon Prime. You can put it on YouTube and Vimeo. And I know that you can monetize uh, your projects through those avenues as long as you own all the intellectual content. Um, I just personally haven't done that because what we want to do as a studio with Tragic Hero is I've been doing short films for six years. And we've, we've evolved and we're growing out of doing short films because we also have an understanding that you really just can't get them distributed through any mass market. There just isn't a market that involves money when it comes to shorts. Sometimes you can get finance to produce shorts, but you know, HBO, Stars, any television network, they don't purchase them from you because they're shorts. They only want to buy feature projects. So I personally just haven't, but um, I know that it's possible and that you can be successful if you know where to market them. Um, so what we're going to be doing in 2017 is we're going to be producing feature lengths that we can get distributed by taking them to festivals and pitching them to distributors. Um, as long as it meets certain requirements, nine times out of 10, it's easier than you think to get a feature length documentary or a feature length narrative distributed as long as it's not short. So and all I have are shorts, to be honest. I've been producing shorts for so long there I have, and I realized that I can't make any money on Oh. That's so interesting, you know, because a big part of my work is helping people uh, create a living off of what they want to do, you know, their passion or their purpose, whatever they call it. And more than more often than not, we're having to create a model for monetizing whatever they do because it doesn't exist yet. So yep. for you, this is really interesting. And it's cool that you're now going into the feature link to solve a lot of those problems. But I think it's it's really interesting that that's been an issue and yeah, something will come to you someday, perhaps if it's necessary, but yeah, that's really neat to learn about different industries and, and how they work. Yeah, certainly. And, and I'm always going to have like a really soft spot in my heart for short films because they're where I've learned how to become a filmmaker and where I learned to act. And I'm probably never going to stop doing them. We're just going to slow down. So. Um, you know, the best thing that I could suggest to market, like I said, to market and potentially generate any type of income off of be it a documentary or a narrative that's less than 45 minutes in length, it would be, you know, by posting it on your YouTubes and your, your Vimeos and approaching Amazon Prime. And I, I do know that HBO actually offers um, a short film category if you subscribe to HBO. They stream shorts. So there are some places that you can stream short films and generate an income. It's just a bit smaller than anything feature length. Regarding mm -hmm. like 
you know, the amounts that they, that the companies will offer you. It's commonly less than what they'll offer you for uh, a feature narrative or a documentary, which is another reason why we're trying to evolve into features so that we can make a sustainable income through our company generating revenue from our passion projects. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, I know what you're saying about Vimeo. Um, Ruben Langdon's series about extra dimensionals is a great example. They're longer form. They're you know about hour long interviews, but he charges I think a dollar ninety nine for each of them. And um, and yeah, it's definitely a way to go. Like if if you know people are listening and they have some content that they want to put up there and it's not really right for distribution, go go find a way to make money if you want to do that. Absolutely, definitely, it's possible it, as long as they monetize it on Vimeo or YouTube, and they have they own all the intellectual rights to their property. You just have to find a market for it. You know, you you can have it advertise through Facebook, and they can advertise. Um, they can purchase for really actually not a lot of money. You can purchase third party agencies that will market and then mass market your product for you. So if you have links and you to say for example you know, something that you produce and, and you're charging a dollar ninety nine to watch it on Vimeo or YouTube. There are companies where you can hire them for pretty cheap to, to get the reach and the spread, you know, the, the reach of the views on your product to increase so that you're getting more purchases, you're getting more views. And so, you know, having a good like marketing strategy for something that may not be as well known or doesn't have any any public figures attached so that the the reach of what you're doing, it might not be as far. Having a good marketing strategy will also increase like revenue streams as long as you're charging for it mm-hmm. and it's marketed properly. You can be successful. You can generate generate an income on this, definitely. Interesting. So I can't believe we're almost we're almost out of time, but I want to hear more about your musical talents and how that plays into everything. So I imagine you know you're very expressive, like you said. You have all these avenues of sharing yourself. Each of them probably fit a little bit differently in what you express and how you feel. So what does music do for you, and how how does that play into your day? Like, do you do it every day? Do you just do it for projects? Do you do it for fun? Great question. So when I was sixteen, I got my first guitar and my first keyboard, and um, I had grown up listening to so much music, the type of music that kind of helps you escape any sort of like difficult situation that you're in. You turn on a good song that helps raise your vibrations and maybe, you know, you you find a connection to the lyrics that inspires you and helps you in some way. So when I was a kid, um, I was drawn to music that inspired me and then not necessarily serve as a distraction, but offered a vibration that I could relate to. So a lot of times like the lyrics or the, the tone or the genre of the music was very inspirational. So I said, well, I want to do this. I, I want to create this music that inspires me and makes me feel better. Uh, helps me get through, you know, difficult times and all those cliche things. And uh, so I started writing music and recording it myself. Um, so I'd compose, um, I'd compose, you know, keyboard and, and guitar and bass and I'd program like synthesized drums and I'd mix it and just make songs in my room for hours and hours and hours. Um, I never got any sort of uh, traditional training to play any instruments. I just bought instruments and played them to the best of my ability. And then from there, that's when I started performing in bands. So I like to sing and uh, 
play guitar. And so I was in a couple bands when I was a teenager um, where I could perform music live. And I started doing shows and we started recording albums. And um, that was a lot of fun. And so I turned about 18. And that's like when I mentioned at the beginning that my whole music journey and my whole film journey completely abruptly ended when I turned 18. So when I got back into it, uh, after I moved to New York, that's when I injured, injured my voice. I couldn't really sing in the way that I was anymore. So I said, well, okay, sure, great. I'll, I'll pursue acting. I love that. It's what I've always wanted to do. I'll start producing films because that's also very exciting to me. And I love the creative medium in, in, the, in that form. But I said, I've been playing music since I was 16. I'm not just going to stop doing it. So I found that being in bands was just... Um, too time consuming and there was too much of a power struggle going on between myself and my bandmates of, of trying to choose the genre that we wanted to play or, or we're always going in different musical directions. So it was at that time that I was pursuing, you know, my career in film that I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do when it comes to, you know, picking up my guitar, picking up my keyboard and, and composing music. I'm just going to compose all this, the music and the scores for all my films myself so that I can integrate that art form that meant very much to me when I was a teenager, it was there for me. It was the first creatively expressive thing that, that I discovered as, as a young teenager that I could do to tell my story. Some people paint, some people draw and sculpt. I just like music. So um, since I was 16, I've always found a way to integrate, you know, writing and composing music into whatever I'm doing. Um, so now if, if somebody pulls up one of my short films on YouTube or finds something older that I produced, I wrote and worked on the music for. Um, and it's, it's actually only now that we're starting to integrate other artists' musics, musics into our films because we can afford that now. We can afford to purchase licensed music, um, whereas before we didn't always have the budget for that. So that was another reason why I would compose the music for our films because it was free. <laughs> nice. So I still, I still write and record music, but the only place you might hear it is when it's attached to one of our film projects. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, I would really love to know if you have any parting words for someone who really wants to be more expressive, but um, maybe feels already overwhelmed with their schedule because we were talking a little bit earlier before we were recording about how full your life is. And I always go back to that word fulfilled, fulfilled you know, whole, happy, satisfied, but it has the word filled in it. And I think our lives are supposed to be filled with what brings us joy. So um, how do you do it? Are there any things that you may be sacrificed of like a quote unquote normal life that you don't have time for? Um, but what is, what does your life look like? And what advice would you give to someone who's maybe a little afraid of like giving up TV time or, you know, Something like that. <laughs> okay, so to use me as like a vibrational example. Okay, so so what, what I'll tell you now, I hope that everybody who hears it can put themselves in my shoes and, and learn from me in the sense that you can do everything. You can do all of it. So in my day-to-day -day life, I act. Um, in both independent productions and unionized productions. I video edit um, films and music videos full-time. I also, um, I can be hired as a camera operator and a director of photography. 
do go shoot things like weddings or music videos or live events, public speakers, anything that can be shot with a video camera, I've been hired to do. So I do that part-time. I video edit full-time. I act part-time. Um, I'm in a successful and healthy relationship that's not suffering in any way due to lack of attention. Um, I would say that the only area in my life that I'd like to explore a little bit more thoroughly is having more of a social life. Um, I have a lot of friends, but I'm just not, I don't have a whole lot of time to see them because I'm so, I'm so deep into pursuing my career and my artistic endeavors that it's just where my focus is. But what I'd like to say is there is enough time to do, to, to have a day job, to have, to have a nine to five or have a career. There's enough time to be a mother and a father and a brother and a sister and still give attention to your, your artistic endeavors or to your passions that may be you know, creative in nature, where you're building something, where you're creating something that's artistic. Well, I, I see so many people who have these passions, but can't work them into their, their week. They can't work them into their, their 48, 48, 48 hour work schedule and things like that while maintaining a family life. So what I would say is there is enough time and space to do all those things because we do create our own time and space. We're creating everything around us that also includes time. And another exciting thing is as we transition into the fifth dimension, we know that time doesn't work as linearly in the fifth dimensional space. It's, it's, it's less linear than the third and fourth dimension. So as, we, as, as Gaia ascends and we ascend with her, there's going to be a lot more time and space for us to do the things that we love and do the things that we prefer in that new dimensional energy. But for those who just really need a, a practical, a more tangible and practical practice to, to integrate those things, is I would say make, make time once a week. If you have a seven-day work week and you have friends and family and a social life and maybe children and a full-time job, there still is enough time to even even one day, a couple hours a day to set aside for yourself and just do that thing that you love that's creative and expressive and artistic. Make, make an hour for yourself a week if you can that's all you need and then maybe the second week you'll find through synchronicity that it turns out you have two hours next week and if you really enjoy it and you really love what you're doing and you find that this creative thing that you're doing it makes you happy and it, and it feeds to your joy you'll find that on the third week you have three hours to do it. and you'll see that this perpetuates and, and it rapidly accelerates because if you have a creative talent if you paint or you draw or you sculpt or you're a singer or a pianist, or a, a video editor like me, or a filmmaker, or an actor. If you have a joy that's artistic and expression, it's because somebody out there, somebody, anybody, even if it's one person, it means that it, they, it will resonate with them. It might help them in some way. They may meet a connection to it, even if it's so simple and so unique to you. If you have a talent or a skill, it's because it will help people, it can help people. Um, and it's an indicator that if, if you can do it, it's because it will help people, it can help people. And that's one of the biggest things I love about being a filmmaker is some of the work that I do, it resonates with people and I get emails and, and Facebook messages about, you know, the projects that I've produced or one of my acting performances and how, you know, they, they connected to it in a certain way and it helped them understand something differently or it just resonated with them. And that's confirmation, you know, from the universe that I'm doing you know, I'm 
acting in my highest excitement and living my joy because I get those reflections back. And I feel like being an actor, it's unique to me. But anybody could have another artistic, creative medium. And if they have that, it's unique to them. It's specific. It's because that's their, that's, it's there for them and somebody will benefit it, benefit from it in some way. And, uh, I would say just try not to attach any labels. And if you feel like you don't have time, you do have time, even if it's a little bit. And that little bit might be all that you need for it to grow and expand. Well said. Beautiful. Well, you've been the easiest interview ever because uh, you, it's like we're telepathic questions before I'm asking them. So it's great. Um, Well, I absolutely can't wait to dive into more of your material and to see those who seek when it comes out. I'll definitely share it and be part of promoting however I can. And um, I really want to thank you for spending an hour with us and sharing your journey because I know it's really going to help a lot of people open up to their own. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for having me. I think you're lovely. Um, it's been a lot of fun to talk for an hour straight. It's probably <laughs> why it went so quick for you because I'm like a little bit of a motor mouth to talk a lot. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's, it's all good, though. Really wonderful. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Um, we'll definitely have you on again. And um, I can't wait to learn more about your journey and everything else. I think you've got a lot of fascinating things going on. And uh, keep doing it. And thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for watching. If you're new to Intuitive Art and you've never done it with me, go to intuitiveartacademy.com for your free class. You'll learn how to have a conversation with your higher self in three easy steps. That's intuitiveartacademy.com. And if you're already a pro or you've done the free class, and you want to learn more about creating abundance from your purpose, go to workyourpurpose.com and you'll watch a free video series all about what it takes to create a purposeful income from doing what you love. All right, enjoy, and I will see you later. Bye-bye.